Have you ever heard of the Three Sisters? You mean those black singers? No. I'm talking about mythology. The trite. Hold on. If you're talking about spooks and stuff, I don't believe in any of that. Whoa, 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 whoa. guys welcome back to the blood and black rum podcast i'm ryan from coltsploitation.com and i'm joined with my co-host mark how's it going doing well we are back in 2023 and we had said previously that we were going to do an episode on jalo or jali if you want to be grammatically correct about it um jali um and we hadn't done it for the last episode because we kind of swapped it out. There's a better, better idea. Um, By a better idea. Yeah, it's another Friday the 13th. I yeah. Another one. <laughs> Friday the 13th. Um, but we, we, so in, in, and also I should, we should preface this by saying we're technically not doing a jello for this, this episode either. Um, it's not really a jello, although it does have, elements of jello to it and we'll talk about how that kind of works into the into the movie um but we are going to do an italian movie from the 80s not only that you said you didn't want to do argento again it's true we kind of doubled back on everything that we said we were going to do a hallmark of this podcast yeah we are going to do argento we are going to do a movie from the 80s with argento and in true fashion, we're going to follow up with a sequel of a movie that we've already done before. Of course, it's pretty much what we do on the show. So, of course, we're talking about 1980s Inferno um, from Argento, which is a sequel to Suspiria, though in you know not in name or anything like that. You know, there's no Inferno Suspiria two or anything like that, um, which I kind of like. And actually, if you I think if you come into the movie and you really don't know anything about it, which is how I came to the movie a good 15 years ago, maybe. Um, if you don't know anything about the movie, you may not even recognize that it is a sequel to Suspiria until you get into it a little bit. You're like, hey, some of these things seem familiar. And then, you know, obviously when they talk about the the mother, the three mothers and things like that, you're... you're going to kind of cue in but like from the poster artwork and stuff if you look at inferno doesn't really look like it's going to be a suspiria sequel which you kind of like kind of you're not prepared for what you're going to go into so did you know that it was a sequel yeah oh, okay you, you did before you started watching it yeah okay we, we may have talked about it i don't even know no i you you had known that before yeah, yeah. i mean you know there was a trilogy and you knew the Mother of Tears was the last one, and the garbage one that came out way later. Yeah. I um 
Yeah, I, I, th- I saw this movie about 15 years ago. And I remember, um, actually, I remember not, thinking not too much about it. Like, I thought it was like, eh, it's it an okay movie. I don't know. Um, I had already seen Suspiria at that time. And uh, I don't know. I just thought it was it was okay. And I wasn't really blown away by it. What I was blown away by it were a couple things. The soundtrack, for one thing. Um, and the wackiness of Italian movies. Because I had not really... Like, at that time, I had only experienced a few probably a few Italian movies of, of note, like especially of giallo movies from the, from this time period. And uh, that was one thing that really stood out to me. It was like, why is everything so so weird and wacky? But we'll talk about that a little bit as we get into Inferno because I do think a lot of that is intentional and it kind of carries over from Suspiria in, in a little bit of, you know, Suspiria is kind of a little bit more grounded at times and Inferno is kind of, not it's an intentionally so um possibly to the uh annoying annoyance of of some viewers um not me in particular and i will say that in, on a rewatch i ended up enjoying inferno quite a bit um more than i remember so it was interesting to return to that and you know kind of kind of figure out that i like it more than i thought i did um what number Argento movie is this for you because we did we've done Suspiria and we've done Phenomena um, and we did Tenebrae are those the only three four so this is four now right this this is four right so those were the only three prior to this and then this is number four of Argento that you've seen specifically Mm. okay so we're bringing you through the whole gamut of Argento at some point, I was saying before seeing these films, I would say the block from Suspiria to Opera are the five that I know had already, even before years ago when we first started with Suspiria, had seen, you know, stuff about and had, you know, background knowledge before seeing them. Because they're usually the films when people talk about Dario Argento, uh, that p- people who are fans of his work site, like these are the movies you got to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at some point we're gonna have to get it, dive into the the worst output from Argento, the the later stuff that you know doesn't work as well. There's actually there's there's some that I actually haven't seen myself. Like I have not seen this uh, Stendhal syndrome, even though I own it. I haven't seen it. It's supposed to be quite a weird one. I have seen a number of his later movies, like Mother of Tears I've seen. Um, there's another one, too, that I, I'm drawing a blank on right now, the name of, um, that I've seen that I also really did not like, Dracula, his Dracula. Oof, that is a rough one. And I haven't seen the newest movie that he released um, on Shudder. Dark Glasses. Yeah, Dark Glasses. But I don't have really high hopes for it, but I did hear that it was marginally better than some of his newer output. So potentially something to look forward to. I don't know. That'll be something on my uh, to watch list here at some point. But it's see, it's scary uh, to go into like dark glasses and you, you don't know what to expect because Dracula really left a terrible taste in my mouth because I was so excited for it too. It's like, oh, Dario Argento's got a new movie coming out. Oh, it's going to be a rendition of Dracula. And at that time, I was really just starting to get into the reviewing game, and I think I actually got um, a screener disc of it, and I was super excited. I was like, awesome. I got a screener disc of this. It was like when I was 
really just starting to get stuff like that. And then I popped in and I was like so disappointed. I was like, no wonder they were giving it away to anybody. <laughs> Terrible. All right. Let's take a break real quick. Talk about the beer that we have on the show today. It's a special occasion. We've got a a beer that we have never had on the show before. Um, Mostly because it's not easy to come by around here. Um, we had a special order this one. Had to order it with a few other people because it is so expensive to order them, uh, especially with the shipping prices. But it's in our hands and we wanted to do it today. So we're talking about Mortalis Brewing. Um, Mortalis is from, uh, let's see, Livingston <clears throat> County, right? Livingston County, New York. Just outside of Rochester. Yep. Avon is the specific city that it's located in. So it is in New York State. It's um, fairly close to us, but not super close and doesn't get distributed. Um, so it's not like it's just easy to come by. So our buddy ordered it directly from the brewery, and we got uh, six different beers um, to share around. And one of them that we got was their Hydra series, which uh, their Hydra is a sour series that they do. Um, it's kind of a rotating series. And for this one, we got strawberry and blueberry and boysenberry. So, and you can kind of understand by the can and the the name hydra that it's three-headed so you're getting hit with getting hit with a a threesome of of flavors in that one so what do you think about the hydra strawberry blueberry buoys and berry i was gonna say uh still to this day i don't know exactly what a boysenberry is oh yeah i mean i don't know that i've had it um by itself right i don't i don't think i've had like Someone has not come up to me and be like, would you like to eat a boysenberry? Um, I'm sure I don't even know where you would get one. I think they grow around here too, because I think some of like our blackberry raspberry mixes that we got around here in these parts of upstate New York are kind of like a... Well, here's the thing. Here, it, you know, So Handy Google tells me that the boysenberry is a cross between the European raspberry, European blackberry, American dewberry... And Loganberry, which is, you know, a fucking hybrid of berries. Again, I've never had a dewberry or a Loganberry. And I don't know the difference between these European counterparts of our beloved raspberries. They're probably what we brought over here. Yeah, probably. They probably they probably weren't native to uh Iraq, you know, to here. But Regardless, I think I would really like to eat a boysenberry if I if I had one and knew that I was eating it because it just says it tastes like a cross between a blackberry and a raspberry. Which, is, again, they're both delightful. And truthfully, you know, we have a blackberry bush outside the house and that kind of sounds like what we get and it kind of looks like what we get. We might be getting boysenberry. I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> there, there comes a time where there's so much overlap. It's like, I don't know what the fuck I'm eating. It's a fucking berry. It tastes good. Just eat it. It's just delightful and juicy. Mm-hmm. They look a little bit ju- like, but juicier than a uh, little bit thicker voice than, uh, <laughs> than the blackberries that we get around here. Yeah, the picture on the Wikipedia for a boysenberry; those are some thick boys. Yeah, they're 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 meaty suckers. Yeah. So basically, it's in the raspberry blackberry family. So 
putting it all together, strawberry, raspberry, or strawberry, boysenberry, blueberry, you get a nice like trifecta of berry flavors. And again, I think too, like with the berry flavors like that, they kind of all blend together a little bit. It's, I don't, you generally when you have flavors like that, you can't go really go into it and pick out like specific berries. You're like, oh yeah, there's the boysenberry. Right there in the back of my tongue, the boysenberry came out. They kind of all blend together and make up a very tasty, very juicy sour. Um, another thing to note about a lot of Mortalis' sours is that they are extremely creamy. Very, very thick, frothy, well-textured beers. Um, with a lot of, um... Almost like sediment, con- you know, concentrate, and I think that that's you know, it's like say it's like the seeds have been settled out. Yeah, on them. yeah, it makes it a very smoothie-like experience, and I really enjoy these types of sours as opposed to some of the other sours that you get where they they all taste like hey, we've boiled down some sour-ish fruit and it kind of melds into this one like really specific flavor of sour. Like they all, they can often taste very, very similar. Like all the mash just tastes sour E, you know, <laughs> these don't really get like that. They do have a distinctive, nice flavor to them with that creamy texture. And I think that Mortalis does a particularly good job of, of nailing these specific types of beers. Cause this is pretty much what they're, they're known for is the sour style. So what what did you think about this one? As I'm finishing it up, um, I like it a lot. This is very good. Um, had a couple more calluses now. Um, they've all been terrific. It's kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like uh, the beer trees that we've done here with that's uh, you know the fruit sour, uh, couple of, like mixes that we've done from them. Always terrific, you know, very well done. <laughs> I think Mortalis has the edge over them because they just know how to blend all the flavors perfectly together. Um, and I do like the fact that, unlike like a Goes style sour, that this is you know these are more kind of thicker on the mouth feel, a little bit more as you know sedimenty as you said, like you got like pulp and seed in there, adds a nice you know texture to it. You know, it's this bright purple, blue, you know, blue color hue. Yeah. It's a great looking beer and it tastes delightful. You know, uh, the strawberry, I will say, I don't get that big of much of. It's kind of most muted of the two, uh, I'm sorry, of the three. Um, it's definitely mainly focused on the blueberry and boysenberry flavors which I'm fine with because I love blueberries and I love me you know if boysenberries are like a hybrid between raspberries and blackberries <sighs> delightful love it I love strawberry too but I would I would would rather see you know the blackberry raspberry tasted that's what's uh, at the forefront it's very good absolutely phenomenal um the Mortalis' sours are worth the price. Um, 
And if you're able, if you live in, you know, the Rochester area and you're able to go out there, go and get them. If not, and you live in New York, you can have them delivered to you. Uh, they're definitely worth the, pr- worth the price. They put a lot of time and effort into these. And it'd be nice, you know, to see them be able to kind of grow and expand and maybe get some level of distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not that would impact uh, their quality, yeah, that would be, you know, remain to see. But I think, you know, it'd be nice to see them eventually get a little bit bigger. So at least at the state level here in New York, you know, you could start finding them around. But I like this a lot. I would say definitely try it. And anytime you see any other Hydra series, check them out. Because they always have these new interesting uh, combinations of fruits and flavors going together. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's um, a really solid beer. It does, you know, they do an excellent job with all of these styles. And, you know, if you're looking for a nice sour uh, with a, a smoothie texture to it, these are great. The Hydra series is ever expanding they do a number of different beers uh within the hydra series and then even offshoots of the hydra series um but they're they everything that i've had so far from mortalis has been excellent and this one's no different and you're right i don't get as much strawberry as i do the rest of the uh the berry flavors but i think that they've done a really good job with this and can't really ask for more so if you do have a chance to check out mortalis I believe you can, I don't know if it's just New York State, but I believe you can order from their website now and get it delivered. I don't know, again, I don't know if it's out of state yet uh, because there's all kinds of laws and legalities around shipping out of state for beer. But if you do have the chance, you're around the area in Rochester or you check on their website, check them out and uh, give them a try. They got a lot of different stuff very solid brews all around all right so let's talk about inferno let's go into details about inferno here because inferno is a really interesting movie um that again it's a sequel to suspiria but not in name and it has a really interesting idea behind it that kind of is different than Suspiria does. So we we kind of talked about this off the podcast. Um, but Suspiria has more of a lucid quality to it where even like you're following one character, you are kind of in the same shoes as that character. You know, you don't know what's going on and the film doesn't really give you that much information that the main protagonist doesn't get. So you're kind of in those same shoes. Whereas with Inferno, Argento kind of takes it in a different direction. We don't follow one particular character. We actually follow a few. And the film kind of likes to play around with the the audience's expectations of who is going to make it and what's going to happen to them. Because pretty consistently, we swap characters, we... Um, follow them for a little while and then kind of go off in a different direction. Um, and for the most part, it's very dreamlike in the fact that a lot of things that are happening don't really have much basis in reality. And Argento doesn't really give us that much information about what's going on either. He There is some exposition dropped, but for the most part, he kind of lets you as the viewer 
meander through this and kind of see from different perspectives what's going on with the uh, the three mothers that are that you know all this information that's being thrown at you about the three mothers and uh, the various architecture that they have going on in different areas of the world. Um, it's it's I don't know where where should we start? Should we start at the beginning or how how should we start this off? What do you think? Um, we can start at the beginning. So the beginning, I mean, the beginning kind of gives us that information about the three mothers, right? It starts off, we get a, like a, a voiceover from our, our guy, Varelli, who is, uh, he's apparently a, a paranormal architect, basically, or something, something of that nature. It's like, you know, I've, I make homes for the dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting uh, job description for him, but. Yeah, he's basically, and, and the one thing that I like about this too, that like right off the bat grabs you is like, the witches are, you know, supposed to be very careful. They're three mothers. They're like, you know, they're evil in the world and they've got these three homes on the various areas of the world. They got one in Rome, which we saw in Suspiria, or uh, they in, I'm sorry, the one in Germany we saw in Suspiria. They got one in Rome, which we, we kind of see here that there's, you know, some Rome elements to it. And then there's one in New York, which is pretty much what this film is interested in. Uh, that's Mater Tenebrarum. And this architect has designed all three of these areas, and they kind of they all kind of have similar architecture, and the similar architecture being they have like crazy different, you know, areas that they're all really crazy architecture, basically, where you're trying to figure out where entrances and exits are and there's things built into the store, the different stories, and there's a basement that's flooded and stuff like that. The architecture is is kind of the draw of these movies. But anyway, they've been very careful about hiding their identities and stuff in these three different areas. And then this architect goes ahead and he writes a book about it. Just like, they didn't really do a good job of locking that shit down. Of like making sure like, hey, maybe don't let this guy get a book published that tells our secrets to the world. Like, you know, that there's a key hidden beneath your feet and stuff. Because maybe that would not be a good thing to have out in the world. They don't really do a good job of of covering that up too much, covering their tracks. You know, you know thinking about it, um, uh, I mean, Suspiria, they, the original Suspiria, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because again... Last time I saw it is when we watched the movie in what I think 2017 mm -hmm. is when I, we did our episode on Suspiria. So it's been six you know years now, uh, and so the remakes kind of stuck more in my head. But like I said, correct me if I'm wrong. They don't really even bring up this whole three mothers thing until like the very end. Like there's like oh mother Suspiria, mm -hmm. you know, right? So it's it's kind of like a last minute thing, like it's kind of tacked on, thrown in there. It, I mean, it kind of comes up, but it's it's kind of here and there. Like you know, there's that guy that she meets with and kind of tells her it, a little bit. But all we get to see is her, her skeleton. That's about it. Yeah. Till like the end, where it's like, oh, you're gonna go to hell, you know. So it's not like it's like the focal focal point. And again, speaking of like how we were talking about the Suspiria before we were talking about Inferno. And Suspiria is a lot more lucid. Like one of the problems that I had while watching the original Suspiria, and I do remember this vividly, like as eye catching and aesthetically pleasing and cinematography, all that kind of stuff that Argento has a good eye for. 
story-wise, it's just like a rambling, lucid mess of just like shit happening. Mm-hmm. And there's no real constant through line. And you either like, you know, that kind of storytelling or you don't. Inferno, it's very lucid and, again, very dreamlike, too. But they put... Argeno in this one puts ground, like, you know, poles in, like, for, like, for story beats. Like, we start off, like, the three mothers. This is what the three mothers is all about. And we go on from there. And... We follow kind of a plot, an overarching plot of what's going on here at this house and the characters around this house, apartment, whatever you want to call it, you know. It's much more grounded. Yeah. Which also, that opening, too, makes me think, too, with, like, the whole story thing, that's the same thing, like, with Tenebrae. So was Tenebrae actually supposed to, instead of being, like, a Jallo about a killer, was that supposed to be the third one, or Jeddo, like scrapped it like halfway through like eh fuck it I'm just gonna make her Craig her old jello this time so I wouldn't call it Ted a break we... I know yeah I mean it's I mean what you were saying though I think it's kind of interesting because yeah I get what you're saying about um the Inferno giving us more like it gives us more information it really clearly gives us a lot of information about the mothers what's going on you know the three houses all of that, and at the same time, I feel like Inferno has less of a plot than Suspiria, because at least Suspiria is following this one character throughout, you know, f- her going to this, um, you know, ballet uh, school and stuff like that. Like, it actually follows her going there and, you know, learning about some of this information, learning about the witch that lives there. In Inferno... There's really not a lot of plot going on. It's just kind of like people are stumbling on the fact that the potentially there's this Mater Tenebrarum that's where, living in this uh, apartment complex, and they're investigating it, and then they die, and then somebody else finds out about it, and they're drawn to it, and then they die, and then you know someone else gets drawn to it, and there's just, you know there's not like an overarching plot of like this is happening because such and such. It's more just like people get drawn into this web. And Mater Tenebrarum's like, no, 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 no. We're not having all these people sniffing around here. Let's just take care of it right now. One thing I do like about it, though, is it has a, like, and, and I, I should preface that by saying I don't dislike the fact that it has no plot. I think it's really interesting because it really does feel like a dream in many scenarios where you just have these people wandering through various weird architecture. Um, and I think that, Argento does a really good job of showcasing the changing architecture of this building and how it feels very supernatural. Uh, doesn't re- you don't really get a very good bearing of where you are in relation to being in the building, and and not not only in this building but in multiple different buildings. Like there's that one uh, woman who goes searching for the the um, Mother of Tears book in this library, and in Rome, and then for some reason discovers a whole section of the library that's devoted to like people boiling cauldrons. <laughs> you know, there's this well, one guy like just that. fucking boiling cauldrons in the back. Well, not only that, what's even funnier. And again, this is where like the, I think all of this is kind of just like a dream where like she's in this library walking around. She's like, excuse me. Yes. Can you, can you show me? I, I'm looking for a book. The three mothers. It's right behind you. And she turns and it's like, Oh, the book. There are three of them right there. <laughs> you know, so like, 
it's you know everything that happens in here is all like very dreamlike and it makes it seem like everything that's happening is you know part of a great big dream and i, I feel like well, i you know i'm oh, sorry no it's, i mean i feel like that might have been one of the reasons why i didn't like inferno as much when i first watched it because i kind of was watching it and thinking like well none of this is very realistic and then i'm watching again now and i'm saying you know that's kind of the point the point is that it's not realistic that you're you're kind of walking through this dream with these characters of like going into this weird supernatural dimension where things are happening and it doesn't make sense to the characters and it's not supposed to it's supposed to be kind of bewitched like all of a sudden you know the mothers know she's trying to find out about them so they send her to this weird area of the library where there's you know this guy cook you know boiling cauldrons of uh really bad oatmeal and gruel and <laughs> you know so i was thinking too it's like yeah please sir can i have some i, I know but i mean i mean i actually i like that now thinking about it because it is a really cool element to this is that it's it's all very dreamlike and you don't have good bearings and i, I think that works to the film's advantage actually instead of you know there might be some audiences who are like i don't like it i don't like how it doesn't feel real you know it's not it's not grounded but at the same time I like that. I think that it works really well, especially considering the fact that we're now we're talking, you know, we did, you know, Mater Suspiriorum, which was Mother of Size, and you got kind of that idea. This is Mater Tenebrarum, which is Mother of Darkness. And so we're getting kind of like that dreamlike element, sleep. Um, the whole film, the whole film is dark. It doesn't, outside when you go to Rome, it's nothing but, you know, this red and you know blue and green lighting that's throughout like kind of like how Suspiria is that you know hyper saturated here it's I would say almost it has that like coloring aspect but at, like because it's you know made or tannabarium or whatever the hell it's it's more you know it's it's a lot li you know a little bit blander in the colors but they're ever present yeah, yeah it's a, it a little always... bit more muted in yeah. this one um and and it's less green than we get in suspiria and more blue this time um we definitely get you know like more of that blue cooler color um to it and again too i think that's another thing that originally i may not have liked about inferno is that it's it doesn't feel as vibrant as lush as suspiria and to be fair, most films don't get to that point. You know, Suspiria is still pretty prevalently known as the, you know, the most colorful Jello film that you can think of, the most colorful horror film that I can think of, of being just so vibrant, so lush, and so beautiful to look at. But for some, I say for some, it's the only reason why you'd want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it like... could be. <laughs> With Inferno, you do still get that, and I, I, I understand what he was doing there. You know, he wanted to go a little bit more muted. He didn't want to be as in your face as Suspiria because there's just a different vibe to this movie. Um, what I, I also wanted to point out is that this film has a lot of melding of ideas to it too, um, which I think ties into the element of evil that's at play here because we do know that the three mothers have kind of segregated themselves to various areas of the world so that they can kind of spread their evil in like element you know areas or like special various areas that they could just kind of uh branch out and i think that that kind of comes across here with the um the almost jello element to the movie which 
doesn't really tie into the witches at all. It's kind of just playing out at the same time in the same building. And it's like that evil has kind of spread to them. It's with, you know, the, the, um, the housekeeper and her, I, I guess it's her son. I don't know. It's not really clear, but it's, uh, I think his name is John in this, uh, movie. Uh, it's like the, uh, the guy, the butler almost that takes care of, um, the countess, uh, drawing her a, an excellent bath. He like kind of waves a nice little thermometer wand through the bath. And it looks like he's a very, very skilled at drawing baths. Um, I would like him to draw me a bath, to be honest with you. It's like uh, John Leguizamo and uh, Mr. Deeds. Yeah, yeah, right. But uh, th- like th- these two people are not related to the witches at all. Like they don't have a specific um, agenda w- with the witches. Fuck that up, John Turturro. Oh, John Turturro. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> They don't have a specific agenda with the witches. They're actually, their motivation is really just money. They're like, we're going to steal the Countess's money. They <laughs> kind of give off the old fuckers and uh, Rosemary's Babies vibe. Like, yeah, a little maybe, bit, right? Like, like, like maybe they're working for Part Satan. of the cult, sort of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you kind of you do see that a little bit. I think they are actually even in the same room at one point with uh, Mater Tenebrarum. Um, and we don't know it at that time, obviously. But yeah, you're right. It's kind of like... Are they working together? Aren't they? But then it kind of it kind of pivots to the shallowness where we see this happen in the apartment building, and you get the black gloved killer and uh, things like that that are, are part of the shallow genre. Using this paring knife to like yeah. stab people through the throat. Like. Yeah, and and you know honestly, Inferno is not a shallow movie. Uh, just like Suspiria is not a shallow. Um, they don't they have, have black, many they elements. Have, they have black gloves and a knife though. Yes, exactly. Like this, it, this does have like parts of it, and I think that that's interesting. That um, you know, Argento is melding some of those genres in here and showing, showcasing that there is evil around the witches. That it's that's happening. Like again, you know, Kazanian who lives in the um, or he he has the antique store that's next door to the uh the apartment building where Mater Tenebrarum is. This guy's fucking psychotic, man. At first, you're thinking like, you know, they keep calling him a gimp and stuff. And you're like, wow, that's really, you know, that's really rude for this guy. The poor guy's on crutches. We don't know no, his no, story. No. It's you know? the 80s. It's okay. <laughs> you know? Hey, look, there goes that fucking gimp. <laughs> I know. Right? They, just, they just throw that right out there. He's like, who is that man? Oh, you mean the gimp? <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the great dubbing that this movie has at times. Um, oh, who's the man on crutches? You mean the gimp? Yeah, I know. But but anyway, you're thinking like, you're kind of, you know, like, yeah, he doesn't seem like that. It's such a bad guy. You know, he just doesn't get an antiques dealer. He, you know, he has these books and stuff. He's kind of uh, targeted, uh, you know, without reason. And then all of a sudden you see, oh, no, actually, you know what? He He's keeping a fucking chest with cats in a sack in the fucking chest, uh, you know, picking them up by the scruff, throwing them into a bag and then taking that bag out to um the sewer drain in New York City and fucking dropping the bag into the water. No, this guy's psychotic, man. I don't No, that's a that's an old time European sport, drowning cats. <laughs> Just throwing the cats in the fucking fucking water in a bag. It's tough to watch, man. Seeing those seeing that poor cat getting picked up in the scruff, thrown into a bag. Yeah, after they just mauled yeah. the lady to death. Yeah, those poor cats. It's poor cats, man. Poor cats. 
I have sympathy for them for either way. They look like they're, you know, they mean well. They're being, they're, you know, they're being, uh, influenced by evil witches. So, no, but, um, I like this scene because, like, again, Kazanian, you could argue maybe he's been influenced by the evil that's around his building. Um, and then not only that, but you have this, you know, random butcher guy that's got a little, uh, you know, I don't know what it is. Would you call it like a a, a food truck down by the lake there, down by the sewer drain? He's fucking, yeah, he's making kebabs down there. And all of a sudden, you know, you see him come flying out of his thing. He's like, you know, because Kazanian is, he's screaming for help. He's like, the rats, the rats are eating me. And then Which he says, nice irony too. He th- th- goes and drowns the cats, a uh, fucking bunch of rats, like they're this, like scabies or whatever, the little uh, things from like Lost World Jurassic Park, like, y- you know. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, the, the one copies, uh, yeah. And, yeah. And he's getting, and he's yelling, and he's in fucking New York, and then no one hears this poor man yelling, I'm being eaten by rats. I know. <laughs> It, oh, I'm being... It's kind of a funny scene. The other, I mean, it's funny because it's because he can't do anything because he's crippled. So he's just laying like, oh no, they're eating my legs. They're like, just, just fucking yelling. Just and then again, can't get out of the the water because it's New York City. It's fucking funny because see, no one's running. Like there's not a person in sight except the hot dog vendor, who could go he comes sprinting over. <laughs> And I find that funny. Like he, lo- you know, with the way that they shot it, he's sprinting over. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking save the day. I'm gonna. You know what they, you know they should have had? As soon as he's, he started bolting and looked like he was carrying, it should have played William Tell's Overture. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know, because that's pretty much what it looks like. He comes running over, and it, I mean, I it, props to Argento. He does a really good job. But like, all of a sudden, you, you're thinking, ah, oh, he's gonna save him. He's gonna save him. All of a sudden, he just pulls out his knife, <laughs> right that's into like- the neck. That's like more like showing like the dream factor because that's yes. like something that would happen in a dream. Like, right? Goddamn cats are annoying me. I'm gonna drown them, and then all of a sudden my punishment in this nightmare is being eaten alive by rats. And then I think I'm gonna be saved, and then some this kind Samaritan comes over and lops my head off. Yeah, yep. no, that's really just adds like to the fact that like this whole thing is just big fucking fever dream. Just fever dream. Yeah. Same thing too with like the lady that uh, Sarah, when she's running around and she gets caught and her head's like by the goblin creature, the demon, whatever the hell sidekick uh, Mother Tenenbaum has like running around, pulls her head down and puts it into the nails, but it's not killing her, it's just holding her in place and then using a plate glass as a guillotine <laughs> and the way it looks like in the way it's shot like... It looks like a guillotine, and then, like, it doesn't lop her head off. It just goes, poof. And then, like, yeah, it's do it three more times. It's not even, like, lop her head off, but, like, an incision enough to kill her. Yep. Like, that, you know, that that's pretty cool. And, again, but, like, the whole, like, that whole bit is, you know, very, you know, the whole thing's dreamlike. And, and not only that, but um, you generally don't get to see the actual death. Like, it it almost cuts away like a TV movie sort of thing would do. And I think that's, again, that's kind of like the dreamlike element that you generally don't see your own death. Like, you kind of, it's impending, you know that it's coming, and then boom, you're you're awake. You don't, you don't actually get to see it. So, it, again, there's like that dreamlike sequence of, 
you know, it's happening, but then you don't get to see it, which I think works really well. You know, Suspiria is pretty well known for its very elaborate kills and, you know, almost like deadly beauty that it has. And Inferno has that too, um, but in a different way, like we're getting the dreamlike way instead of, and it's still elaborate, you know, the, the whole guillotine thing is still very elaborate and uh, unrealistic, but it works. It's just that it's a, it's kind of a different approach. But at the same time, this movie does a lot of things that ape Suspiria. Like, you know, instead of a person falling through a chandelier uh, glass floor when they're, you know, getting hanged, this time it has a person getting caught on fire by like a fiery uh, cur curtain and then falling through, falling out the window. That old bitch goes sliding. Yeah, I know. It's just... I know. But it... But it has a lot of those elements to it. There's like aping Suspiria, you, you know, things that are very similar to Suspiria, drawing that parallel, but then, you know, you know, doing it differently. Or there's, you know, the whole rain scene where, you know, she's riding in a taxi cab and you got Keith Emerson's yammering going on around it. Uh, yeah. There's a little, little prog rock opera going on. Um you know, th those things are really mimicking Suspiria, but like, I think I like, I like that it does it in a different way that it, you know, he goes in a different direction with them all. I think it does like, a really good job. I like that every film up until like when they could finally film in real rain, um, is nothing but a torrential downpour. Yeah. Cause just like in Suspiria here, whenever it's raining, it's, it's not like you're in the fucking Amazon, like just torrential downpour and like, well, we're gonna have to wait this out for four days. When she's in that taxi, it's like just like you know, it's just coming on down. What do you uh, what do you think about Lee McCloskey here, who's our our main guy, Mark? Who, when we meet him, he's wearing my dad's wedding tux because my dad wore a baby blue wedding tux, and he's got the fucking same same thing going on here. He's sitting in class and, at university. And, and I think your dad had that same haircut. Yeah, too. probably in the mustache. He's got a pretty nice mustache going on too. Um he is like D list Tom Atkins. <laughs> He's got the stash and the look, but like goddamn, he he has nothing to do. I mean, he's like not and nobody really in this. I mean, that's one of the, I think the shortcomings in this film is nobody's like really stand out here. There's no one to really carry what's going on, mm -hmm. you know. At least in Suspiria, we had you know Jennifer Jessica Harper there, you know, to carry a lot of the work. There's not like I mean nobody's bad, but like nobody's like really like doing anything spectacular acting wise. And Lee's just kind of like, what? Where's my sister? What's going on? Mm -hmm. I'm in Rome. There's this girl looking at me. Wow, she has a cat. They like cats in the class? That's weird. Wow. I gotta go back to New York. I'm in New York, which is Rome. Wow. Owen Wilson in his way throughout the movie. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I agree. I think that, you know, because the way that this doesn't have it, one particular protagonist... There isn't one person to carry the film, and you're right. I think whether it be some sort of issue with dubbing or um, 
you know, it, whether it's just wooden acting in general. I don't, I, I wouldn't say the dubbing because I mean, it's just the dubbing for the most part, like, like he comes off when it's, you know, dubbed over like fine. Like his, you know, portrayal's fine. It's just the fact that there's nobody. And I think that's kind of intentional. The fact that there's not supposed to be anybody here. That's like, you know, charismatic to kind of carry the story. Cause it's all just like, again, it's just, big dream that's going on this big lucid dream that's happening and stuff is happening in this dream like quantity uh quality so there's really no reason to have somebody who's you know going to carry the day at the end yeah. i mean it, it doesn't hinder the film but it doesn't help the film it's 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 a push overall in my eyes like you know nobody's bad but there's no one that you're going to point to in this afterwards and say yeah that was a performance that you know was pretty good mm-hmm yeah, no, I know. I agree. I mean, I I like, though, that, like, we get an epic mustache, um, and we get a very aloof performance, because I do, I do think that he kind of, again, we could use the term sleepwalking. He's kind of sleepwalking through this, um, you know, sleepwalking through his, his uh, various elements to the, to the plot. You know, there's a time where there's one guy who asks him when he stumbles on the, the dead people in the apartment, he's like, what happened? Where did you see anything? He's like, she was dead when I got there. <laughs> you know, just very nonchalantly delivering that line. Um, I don't think he's, you know, he has a lot of uh, pathos or anything like that, but he's fun to watch. This film, though, too, has a lot of people in it. A lot of, um, like, a lot of female characters that just kind of crop up for a short time and then either die or you know, disappear or, or even sometimes they're um, part of the witches um, and we don't even really know it. Like there's that one lady who is in Mark's uh, university class who's, you know, he's getting a letter from his sister and she's just staring him down with her cat, um, which the film doesn't really explain it. You know, again, it's sort of like that dreamlike sequence of is this happening or is it part of a dream, uh, which I like quite a bit. I like uh, it. Argento here tries to get in a lot of attractive Italian ladies to, you know, give us some some fun. Not only that, but he he gets in that nice wet T-shirt contest at the, the beginning of the film as um, she takes a dip into the the apartment's like basement uh, that has a subfloor underneath it that's flooded. I kind of I, th- I think that's really an interesting idea about the architecture of the buildings that they don't doesn't really make a whole lot of sense and also too it doesn't um it doesn't even like it's hard to follow the architecture sometimes because I feel like it's not laid out in a way that the audience can really follow and yet it all just works because you're you're kind of open to that idea because of the dream elements to this movie um i lied because like the whole dream like uh quality of the film i do really like the opening beginning of uh the girl like you know talking you know rose talking to uh kazanian about the free mother's book and getting that backstory and then She's like, like being told by the narrator, "Don't go down there. The basement's bad." And she's like, "I'm gonna go down to the basement." <laughs> yeah. And then, like you know, 
drops her little brooch with the keys on it, and then she's like, oh, and then she goes down there. So this is a nice extended, like, 13-minute bit where she's, like, you know, going down there looking for her keys, and it's very slow, and then she eventually finds them but drops them and then goes to get them, and as she goes to get them, dead, dead bodies start floating towards her, and you get to hear, like, the like, you know, as if the bodies are coming to kill her, but they're obviously dead, but they're playing the music like, oh, if they get her, you get you're gonna die, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, like, yeah, it's that nice dreamlike quality, you know, quality to the film. I, I did really like that part. That was, you know, fun. Yeah, I mean, definitely Argento is kind of pacing things a little bit slower in this movie, but at the same time, it's it all works out because of that dreamlike languidness to it. Um, I think works extremely well for this movie what do you think about the emerson soundtrack because this is notably missing the goblin soundtrack that suspiria had um you know it's it's a different variation of that idea of of what goblin was doing in suspiria what do you think about using keith emerson here well it's it's hit or miss Mm. there's some there's some parts of the score that's nice um, there's other parts where it's fucking just out of control. <laughs> and I don't even blame Keith Emerson for that. I think maybe Dario, like, was probably like, no, no, no. We need this. Or he would submit something and Dario was like, no, I need you to be fucking more, you know. And you need you to do this, you know. It's It's just like there's, like, very hit or miss. And it's not even attributed to, like, the whole looseness of the film. It's... All over the place. Like the opening like bit, it's like this classical Corman style B movie, like, you know, nineteen fifties score. And then it goes into like this nice like synth like, you know, hardcore synth beat. Like boom 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 boom. And then it goes into classical I mean like it it kind of fits like the dream theme because it's all over the place, like a dream would be. But I think it's like way too just fucking ridiculous i do love the end like the end you know like school uh song with like oh there's a like i'm pretty sure that's what they were playing when krillin and dragon uh the dragon ball super when he gets stabbed in the chest by uh frieza you know yeah i mean that what they were playing like I mean, honestly, Emerson went hard with this one. There was no reason for him to have to go so hard with the the ending meter tenebrarum finale there, and yet he does. He just lets loose with a with a flurry of various instrumentals and uh, operatic singing. It's on. I I I think like for people watching this movie, if they don't come away with the fact that like, oh, that was a weird dream, or oh, um. I thought that the architecture was crazy or, oh, the set design and the lighting was really cool, then at least they're going to come away with, that was a fucking soundtrack, man. Yeah, that was, that was banging. I think, too, it's interesting because Argento had noted that he wanted something a little bit more subtle than Goblin for Inferno. And I don't know that I would say that Keith Emerson's soundtrack here is more subtle I think I don't, that I don't I don't understand that as in the concept though. You as a director can be like, listen, goblin or subtle. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. You you know, that to act 
to act like, you know, in Dawn of the Dead, man, everyone's dead. How are we going to end this fucking film? And Goblin just submitted the gonk, and Romero's like, yeah, perfect. They, like, didn't, like, say, like, no, that sounds stupid. It's, it, it doesn't sound <laughs> stupid, but, like, the fact, like, the everything, like, well, they submitted it. What are we going to do, George? I guess we have to use it, you know. Yeah, I don't that's, know. I mean, that's, a, that's a foolish idea. So are you telling me Dario Argento's afraid to be like, hey, guys, and Goblin, listen, uh, um, I'm not going to use you this film. I need you to come up with a rockin' fucking disco synth score for Tenebrain Axe, so work on that, you know. I mean, I do, th- I think it's, like, I think that the soundtrack is a little bit more, um, maybe a little bit more nuanced than Suspiria because Suspiria has more of the soundtrack. Like, Keith Emerson's soundtrack is kind of used sparingly, but when it comes about, it is definitely hard. It goes hard, so. I would not, I wouldn't even say sparingly. It, it's ever, ever present throughout. You think so? I don't know. I, yeah. I thought it was a little bit less uh, widely used than, like, goblins, but maybe not. So what did you think of that whole ending bit? Uh, with the Inferno? Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's interesting. I, I'm not a huge fan of, um, you know, and Argento has done this twice now. He does it in Suspiria and he does it in Inferno as well. I'm not a huge fan of, like, the the showdown where we see the mother and we basically the mother is just like, here's what's happening. Um, blah, 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 blah. And then, uh, we have, and again, like in Suspiria, we have the, the building kind of falling apart, crumbling, or in this case, catching on fire and completely burning up. Um, I think that it's kind of a cop out that there is really no confrontation. It's more so we just meet the mother. We we're revealed who the mother is. And then that's it. Like, you know, run away because the building is on fire. Um, See, I think what would have made that more interesting. Like, I'm kind of fine with the setup because kind of where else are you going to go? But to ha- if you're going to, like, introduce, you know, uh, Major Tenenbaum to be, like, she took over Rose's body. Like, well, why did she hang Rose, you know, earlier in the film? Because she needed, like, somebody else to take over that would tie back more to having Mark running around. Because now, him being like the protagonist in this is kind of fucking pointless. To even call him protagonist, because he's just kind of there. So, like, if you had that element, you'd be like, you know, maybe at the end he doesn't escape the fire. Like, you know, he's trying to save his sister and dies in the fire, you know? Which, you know, is trickery of Major Tenenbaum. But they went like, oh, I, I'm not just. <clears throat> the other thing that was confusing too is she's like, we know you know us as the three mothers, and she doesn't say specifically what mother she is. She says we're the three mothers, and I'm I'm death incarnate, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that's another thing. I'm not a huge fan of the the change to a pretty bad looking skeleton person. Um. I kind of like that, though, like the whole jump out, like, I'm death incarnate, and she turns into, like, <laughs> Just turns into, well, it's, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of torn. I kind of like the fact that they, you know, they kind of left it as, you know, we know Mother, um, the Mother of Size, you know, made her Suspirium, just kind of like this 
disgusting witch-like lady that lays around and breathes heavily in Suspiria. And then they did it a little bit differently here, and Major Tenebrarum is like the a person that you would not suspect as being like that. You know, it's a young woman, um, you know, fairly attractive and, uh, you know, kind of timid and a nurse. And you would not expect that that's who it is. And I kind of like that. But then, you know, they, they kind of go the whole nine yards. I also like the part where she steps in front of the mirror and it doesn't mimic what's happening in the foreground. You know, where the mirror, she's standing in front of the mirror, she's speaking, and in the mirror, you can see that, like, she's not speaking, and there's just a subtle difference in what's happening in the background. I think that's pretty cool. Um, I wish we had gotten a little bit more of that than the, you know, more explicit, like, I am death uh, that we get later on. But um, I think they did a pretty good job with the Inferno. And if you didn't know, that's, um, those are all like miniature sets uh, for all the architecture that you see crumbling and stuff and, and on fire. Um, that she, you know, obviously that Mark's not running through because it doesn't make sense, but all of that stuff was just miniature and, um, very, like very specifically designed sets that, um, were really just, just designed to be filmed specifically for those scenes. They didn't like, you know, have an apartment building or anything like that, that they shot it in. So pretty cool, pretty cool stuff. And Mario Bava worked on this too. Um, one of the um, reasons for our podcast name, Blood and Black Release. So, cool stuff. So, what do you, do you like Suspiria or Inferno more? So, pose that question. So, I think, again, and it's been six years since I've seen Suspiria, so I can't, I think because Inferno is fresher in my mind, I like Inferno more. Um, I don't even remember what the fuck I gave Suspiria as a rating. I think probably seven. Because I remember liking, like, you know, like the aesthetics and, you know, Argento's eye, but I think the whole kind of lucid bullshit kind of annoyed me. I think I like Inferno more. I'll have to probably, like, sit down and actually watch Suspiria again and see you know how I feel on it now uh but I, I I had a fun time watching Inferno and I had I did have to take a break like a little bit through because even it's an hour and 40 and it does move glacial at points so I did have to like walk away for like five minutes but I did like you know watching Inferno and I think I liked it like again it's it's, it's hard for me to say because I haven't watched Suspiria in forever so but I think in my mind's eye now, I'd say I like Inferno more. For me, I like Suspiria more. Um, but at the same time, I really now have a much better appreciation for Inferno watching it again. Um, and they're pretty close. I like that they both do different things. You know, they're not meant to be the same movie. They're not meant to, you know, be direct extenuation of each other. They have... Um, almost like mirror elements to them, but they're two very different movies and they are gentlemen meant to do different things with them. So I have a much better appreciation for Inferno now. I guess that leads us to our um, our rating. Out of, out of 10 black singers and spooks, what would you give Inferno? Which, by the way, that part is so funny when Does she asked... Explain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Explain your racist joke. No, I mean, it's funny when 
she goes to ask Carlo when she's, uh, Rose is upset that, uh, that she's being, like, stalked. She feels like she's being stalked, and she can't be left alone, and there's a man in the elevator ogling her. She's like, I guess that'll do. But she asks him, like, do you know the three mo- uh, the, the three mothers? The th- three sisters? <laughs> no, it was three, yeah, it was three sisters. He goes, she goes, do you ha- have you ever heard of the three sisters? And he goes, is that the Black Singer group? <laughs> like, like, that's how you're like, oh, film. That's how you know you're old. And, yeah. and she starts talking about ghosts, and, she's, and the guy goes, I'm not afraid of no, no spooks. And it's like, whoa! <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. So that's the, that's the reason for our rating there. <laughs> they didn't get translated well. No. <laughs> Um, I'll give to uh, I'll give Inferno seven and a half out of ten. It's a good film. I think it's you know really well done. Uh, I think Argento has a really good eye, and I think in every film that we've done, I think you know his filmmaking style, he qual you know quality is always very good. Like he has a certain aesthetic. He knows how to make things look good. I think. Using Suspiria's kind of color palette and muting it fits very well, fits the theme. Whether or not, like, this is supposed to be a direct sequel to Suspiria or, like, something like uh, Sergio Leone's, you know, Man With No Name trilogy where it's just kind of, like, a sequel in spirit only. Doesn't matter. It looks really good. It's well filmed. It has, I like the fact that it's more grounded than Suspiria, that it's... Even though the whole film is one big dream, I do like the fact that like it has a start, a middle, and an end, and it gets there, and it has these ground, you know, these tent poles basically set up for you to kind of follow in this big loose dream. The acting overall, nobody's gonna astound you. There's not a performance here that's really great, but nothing's bad. Um, the soundtrack. Keith Emerson does a good job, but it is way too schizophrenic for my liking. I don't blame that on Keith Emerson. I think that's more probably what Argento was telling him to do. Uh, the kills are really good. Um, some of them we see off screen and others, you know, like the whole using a plate glass window as a guillotine. That was really cool. The guy getting eaten by rats in the lake that before getting, you know, stabbed was really cool. The guy getting hit and stabbed in the, the neck and, like, struggling before the knife got ripped out. All very good. Um, I think the one big downfall of this film is that it's an hour and 40. Probably could be only 90 minutes. It's glacial at good points. And it's glacial at bad points. So, um, the fact that it is so slow burning, um, Argento's pace, I mean, he keeps it the same throughout, but at some points, it overstays its welcome. But, that being said, I liked it a lot. It's not definitely not my favorite Argento film. It's still Tenebrae. Tenebrae is still my favorite Argento film, but this is a pretty fun film. 
Um, and I definitely think set, if you're a avid fan of horror, it's definitely something you should watch because it is, it's, you know, it's a slasher. It's a, it's psychological. It's supernatural. It hits a lot of different beats. And so watch Inferno. Yeah, I would give that a seven and a half out of 10 as well. I agree with that. I think it's a really fun movie. Um, like you said, it does have slow moments to it. I think that's, you know, it's kind of intentional. It has, it's a little bit more plotting than Suspiria, even though I think probably people would agree that Suspiria is also kind of a slow movie, slower movie. It, it you know, it kind of works in atmosphere. Uh, and the same is true of Inferno. A lot of it is atmosphere. A lot of it is dreamlike elements to it. A lot of it is architecture and uh, set design and the beauty of the reds and blues that are here. Um, I think that it does a good job of building that suspense, of having elements to it that make it seem like a giallo at times, make it seem like a supernatural movie, um, and extend the the mythos of the witches, the three mothers from the original Suspiria. I think that they, you know, Argento does a really good job of melding it with the Suspiria uh, elements and then also branching it out into its own concept. Um, and I, I, I think it's really enjoyable if you, if you, if you just accept it for what it is, accept, accept it for the dream sequences. Don't try to find reality in it. Don't try to like see it as something that you have to understand and just kind of take it in as a dream. I think you'll enjoy it a lot more. And that's how I watched it this time. And I am now a pretty big fan of Inferno. Whereas before, didn't really like it as much. So that's how I'd recommend watching it. Just go into it. Allow it to envelop. And don't worry so much about whether it all makes sense and, you know, meshes together. It doesn't have to. It's a dream. Now, just out of curiosity... Where did you see Inferno? Because Lord knows this was not being played on TV. And uh, I highly doubt there was a uh, video renter around here that would have been carrying it. So did you manage to stumble upon it like on the internet somewhere? Let's see. I saw it. How old am I now? 33. I saw it when I was in college. And I, I believe I actually rented it from Netflix Discs when Netflix Ooh. was sending out movies on dvd so yeah that is how i did it i watched it watched it with our our housemates drew and lauren that was a time when we were watching a lot of stuff from netflix videodrome was another one that we watched at that time um yeah so that's that's how we watched it and we were very excited five, the mater five nine i say for 5.99 you were getting yourself a dvd a week yeah yep and that yeah i believe that is what how we watch it and i think I think that's how I saw Suspiria too, and that was that was earlier. That was a couple of years before, but uh, yeah, yep. Netflix discs when they used to do. I actually they still do it. They still send discs. So it's like well, as I say, I mean, who owns Redbox? Is that or is that its own company? Cause I think it's. About, I think it's its own. I'm gonna say, because if you think about it, like, I mean, at least around here, because we live in these nice rural parts, you see red boxes still going up, and it's like, who's going to a red box? And like, oh yeah, I'll, you know, take that Blu-ray, yeah, DVD, probably DVD, probably not even Blu-rays. <laughs> like, I don't get it. Like, you know, it's yep. All right, so what do we got on the docket for next time? What do you think? 
Do you want me to pick a film? Yeah. Let's have you pick you... one. Well, what genre are you looking for? I don't. It doesn't matter. Doesn't we can can be anything really. I don't know what would be good. Um. Could, I don't know. Could be horror. Could be comedy. Could be uh, an action movie. It's kind of up in the air at this point. We don't really have any themes to go off of right now. Um, let's see. Our next episode is going to be... Uh, would be... The third. So actually, technically... We should do Groundhog Day. Technically. I mean, we haven't done it yet, so... It's Groundhog, it's ground, Groundhog Day is the second. And our episode would release on the third, so we could do Groundhog Day. Can we even do it anymore? Or is Bill, uh, Bill Murray been officially oh, he just, canceled? Yeah, just canceled out. I think we can still do it. You want to do that one? You want to do Groundhog Day? We haven't done it in... We can do Groundhog Day. Yeah, that's fine. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so. I've already done Scrooged, so. Get it right in there. I think that sounds good. We'll do Groundhog Day for the next one. So what about Bob? Coming back. (laughs) Yeah. And then, after that, we got to do a Valentine's Day one. Do we? I, honestly, I think I'm kind of running dry on Valentine's Day movies. I don't (laughs) have a lot. All right. Time to hit the Google machine, all right? Valentine. I mean, ro- I mean, obviously romance movies we could do, but specific Valentine's Day themed movies, I don't know. Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, Valentine. Oh, the movie Valentine's Day we could do. If Taylor Swift is in that one. My sister would let me know. Marry me. That doesn't look like anything. God. I don't know. We won't waste our time trying to figure it out on here now, but no, no, we will. The notebook, the notebook. No, because this is what we do. We promise things, and then we don't do it. Yeah, so it's what the hell? Romantic right. movies, horror, horror. Valentine's Day it can't just be Valentine's Day. Into the Dark, my Valentine. Oh yeah, the, that Into the Dark was a series of uh, like movies that they did for Hulu. Valentine. We did that one. No, we didn't. We've done Valentine. We have not done Valentine. One hundred percent. We've done my bloody Valentine. We haven't done Valentine. We did Valentine. No, we did Valentine. I'm like ninety percent <laughs> sure we did Valentine's. We did Valentine. No, we. I am. Oh, I am like ninety. I'm going to say 95% sure. Yep. Episode 161, Valentine. No. Yes, we did. Remember, don't remember, like, the (laughs) rave uh, thing that they go to? Like, the sex rave museum that they go to and stuff? David Boreanaz is in it from uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, There's a Cupid masked guy that's in it. You don't remember this? Yeah, we definitely did do it. I told you. I was 95% sure that we did it. We definitely did it. Uh, Pontypool? What the fuck is Pontypool? I didn't realize that Pontypool was around uh, Valentine's Day. Like about a virus. 
picnic at Hanging Rock? That's not really a horror. Let's <laughs> listen. Ride of Chucky? That's around Valentine's Day? We're not doing a goddamn Chucky film. Cupid. Holidays. Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein. Huh. I don't know. We will... My my Valentine. We'll have to pick something. Hospital Massacre. Mm, there you go. Hospital Massacre. Have you seen it? No. It's a eighty slasher. Yeah. No, I know. I know the movie. I've never seen it. It's a possibility. That'll go right it. along with our other slashers that we, you know, the the not as good slashers that we did for <laughs> the season. Uh, what about Lovers Lane? Lovers Lane. That is actually coming out from Arrow Video. It's going to get released tomorrow. It's the the announcement. It's going to get released tomorrow. It's coming out on Blu-ray. Number two on this list for top uh, Valentine's horror films is Picnic at Hanging Rock. So maybe, maybe it's weird. I am pretty sure that MCLA, my college, actually did that play. So. All right. Well, we'll pick out a Valentine's episode for next week or for next time in two weeks. We're going to do Groundhog's Day. Groundhog Day. I don't know why I pluralized it. Groundhog Day. Should be fun. Should check it out. Deja vu for you. It's Groundhog's Day again. So, if you want to hear us cover that stuff, just subscribe to us on pretty much any podcasting app that you can think of. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or home base at anchor.fm. Um, you can leave us a nice review. And it always helps us out. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Search for us on there, Blood and Black Run Podcast. Like us, follow us, whatever you do on those. And we are on, uh, we have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Write to us, let, you, let us know what you like, what you don't like. And we will uh, do our best to accommodate what you like. Uh, finally, you can donate to us on our Patreon or on anchor.fm for subscribers. Anything you donate will go back towards beer, so we appreciate that. And, uh, you know, thanks for funding our alcoholism. So, other than that, I hope you enjoyed our episode on Argento's Inferno, and hope you come back for our episode next time. Until then, take care.